of the uh, weekly research summary at Alpha Architect. Got Jack Vogel here as always. Uh, this week we got two papers. The first one, it's a pretty popular topic. It was submitted by uh, Matthew Bartolini at State Street. The, the paper was titled, After a Lost Decade, Will Value Get Its Groove Back in 2019? Um, it seems like every year for probably the past five years or so that the, you know, the diehard uh, value investors, you know, fans of Ben Graham, Warren Buffett and on, um, they're claiming this is the year value comes back, right? So this, this paper is making that argument. This is the year that it comes back. The first section compares the weighting of the sectors in the Russell 1000 value <coughs> versus the sectors in the Russell 1000 since 2009. <coughs> Excuse me. What, uh, Jack, is the author trying to convey here by looking at the sectors? Yeah, so, um, you know, as with, well, first, you know, just with the outset being, you know, that value is underperformed, obviously, one of the things that occurs within any time you're, you know, building a portfolio that's not market cap weighted, like as your main signal, such as value, is sometimes you can take like a bet on a sector, right? Or sectors, so you overweight some sectors, underweight others. And, you know, what he kind of showed is, you know, on average, like the Russell 1000 value was way overweight financials yep. relative to just the Russell 1000. And then it was pretty much underweight, you know, information technology or probably all the, you know, big growth firms in the index that just happened to do really well. Yep. So at a high level, you know, just if you had just started with that sector allocation, you would have underperformed as well. Right. But that's what value tilted you in towards over that time period. Right. So, yeah. So, so value, one of the reasons value's lagged is because, you know, the sectors that you're in, if you're in value, have, have lagged. That, mm -hmm. that makes sense. Um, <clears throat> and the, the second section of the paper uh, is about value investing can be defined in all sorts of different ways. Uh, what are some of the ways the author mentions value can be defined and, and, and what are the consequences? Yeah, so um, what looked at, well, obviously there's different multiples like book to market, you know, uh, free cash flow, enterprise multiples. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways one can measure value. Um, what he what he kind of went and showed was, you know, over the past like one, three, five, ten years, almost all of them have kind of underperformed their respective things, not just in the U.S., but also internationally. Right, um, you know the one I guess value index that was included was the the pure value index, um, and that one did actually win over ten year period, but still lagged over one thirty five. Yeah. Um, so it's just been a rough time for value, but um, did mention a couple of the measures that one can use. Yeah, it really, I mean, it really does feel like kind of this is going to be the story for the next few months at least. Is is value dead? Is value coming back? I remember. 2013, the, the you know the story was hunt for yield. Everybody, all anybody wanted to talk about was you know dividend ETFs or things like that. Like, is you know where do we get dividend yield? And, you know, there's always these kind of stories that, that get the, the biggest headlines. That's this seems to be the one that's getting the, the biggest one now, and and everywhere all over the world, values underperformed. So that makes sense. Um, the, the third and final section, the author argues, there are four trends that may favor certain value strategies. Um, uh, 
It first starts with valuation on broad value versus growth has shifted. Um, what, what's he mean by that? Yeah, it was just looking at, um, you know, using a composite measure of all his uh, value, uh, of all different value metrics, use a composite and look at like a Z-score relative of, you know, the value, the valuations based on that relative to the market and to growth. Yep. And what has shown is recently, you know, it, it's become, uh, values become cheaper relative to growth. But again, it's nowhere near like going back to the internet bubbles uh, back then. But but in that in that case, I guess the idea is if the valuations between value and growth are widening, you know, value may be becoming cheaper relative to growth. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, and it's it, that's an interesting chart to look at uh, in the paper if you can. The the spread to Jack's point, the the spread is as wide as it's been in a very long time, but it's still nowhere near the, the spread of, you know, the value companies to the growth companies in, in 99 and, and that era. Yeah, I um, think it may be like a fourth yeah, yeah, like of a, the internet poll. Very small amount. So, yeah, so, so maybe good, but it certainly can get a whole lot worse. Uh, growth, growth, here's the, the second thing. Um, uh, for one of this, again, one of the trends that, that the author argues uh, why value may outperform um, the second one, growth trends are expected to weaken as growth stocks have experienced a larger recent decline in 2019 consensus earnings per share growth than value stocks. So I guess to say it a little more clear, um, yeah, uh, uh, stocks that have a, a higher quality tilt have seemed to do better, right, Jack? Or yeah, so, so on here, you know, obviously an interesting thing about value and growth is a lot of times when people say they're like, why is it called growth, right? Because you're, you're buying a stock that you know ex-ante has a higher multiple on any valuation measure, but it happens to be like growing earnings, right? And so, you know, what I think what Matthew like highlighted here was the fact that just on forward projected earnings growth rates for 2019, you know, the spread, I think, early in the year, I don't know, maybe it was like 10%. It's now come down a lot where value and growth expected growth rates are actually pretty close. Yeah. Right. And, and so to the extent someone's paying up, you're paying more when you buy a growth company than you are for a value company. And you do that if, cause you possibly expect the growth rates of earnings to be very high relative to value, sure. but to the extent they're getting close, which they actually are, yeah. you know, that's a good, or that's probably a better trend for value yeah. in such an environment. Can, can you give like maybe a little more firm example of that? Like, so, you know, growth company is something we expect to grow at 30% annualized, let's say making up numbers, value company is something we expect to grow at 5% annualized. Yeah, exactly. And, but, but now it looks like those numbers are narrower. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, I forget the exact numbers, but let's say, you know, beginning of the year, it was growth was going to grow next year at 15% value at five. I'm making this up. These are not the exact numbers. And now it's, you know, 10% and 7%. So like they've kind of gotten closer. Yeah. All right. And uh, the, the last trend for why the author believes this may finally be the time that value outperforms um, value, value stocks um, with a high ROE, return on equity, have outperformed low ROE stocks in 2018. 
The author argues this shift to quality could be a sign of a shift in market sentiment regarding growth stocks. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah. So, what, what's kind of that signal? It's it's quality value stocks are doing well now. Uh, yeah, that that's what they found. So, and obviously, I think a lot of people who are value managers generally try to have some sort of quality overlay or screening better than that. Got it. Yeah, and so. You can measure quality in all different ways, right? But but return on equity. So what the what the company has returned on their equity um, uh, investments. Uh, that's that's one way to measure it. You can also measure it return on assets, right? Yeah. Um, so th- that's one quality screen. Uh, but but those companies, you know, as this as the author said, in 2018 have done well. Quality companies with higher ROE. Um, all right. So that's that paper. Uh, the next paper, last paper we're going to cover this week, uh, ETFs have not screwed up correlations, liquidity, and alpha opportunities. Um, so this, this paper is debunking some of uh, the storylines that are tagged to ETFs. Uh, the paper investigates the following research questions, and I'll just go, there's uh, two of them we're going to look at in total. Um, so I'll just go with the first one. Have ETF flows affected the correlation structure of returns? Jack, what what did the paper say about that? Yeah, so, you know, the paper on that, actually, to get to the answer of have flows affected it, what they kind of do at the outset is actually build a model to look at correlations among stocks, right? And first, at the outset, what they kind of show is that they, and this, I think, is an exhibit two of the paper, they show that, you know, people say, hey, when when because of ETF flows, like stocks A and B are becoming more correlated amongst each other. Yep. Therefore, like the correlations have increased and it's all due to ETFs. So that's the story. Yeah. E- right? e- ETFs are driving They're driving correlations. Driving, drawing, driving higher pairwise correlations. Yep. So what they do is say, hey, okay, let, let's model out what this would actually be. And when you actually go through the model, um, you know, I read through it, but when, when you go through it, what you see is that, you know, part of the correlation is also embedded with like the market, right? And so in exhibit two, what they show is the, the pairwise car, the average pairwise correlation between a stock and the market and a stock and the other stocks. And, and kind of what you see is that, you know, when the market goes up, your, your correlation with the market goes up. Yeah your correlation with other stock goes up, right? So they show that at the outset. And then basically what they no, kind no, of find- shown that all through history? Like is this- Yeah, is the, yeah. back, way further back. Yeah. Um, and so kind of what that leads you to believe is, you know, when there's macro events, i.e. the market's moving and things are moving a lot with the market, that's kind of important. And so then what they do show is they run like a regression on uh, ETF flows relative to like macro uh, vehicles or variables and show they don't the, the correlation doesn't seem to move too much with that yeah yeah that, that, that that's kind of interesting because that's um you know something we talk about sometimes uh liquidity in a liquidity crisis liquidity goes to zero for everything you know that's kind of what 2008 was um so yeah it's not so much etfs driving that but but this is kind of looking on, on a different angle on that um have have etf flows this is the second question have ETF flows affected the liquidity of underlying securities? So now we get into that. 
Yeah, and so, you know, another, another common thing is, hey, people are putting money in ETFs, you know, they're not buying stocks, you know, therefore, you know, there's more liquidity in the ETFs and the underlying stocks have less liquidity, right? And, you know, what they just show is, hey, let's just look at, like, if, if it was the case that, you know, on average, people are investing more in ETFs and just by default not doing more stocks, what you would see is like a negative correlation amongst the two. So as ETF flows right, go in, yeah. we would see, you know, a negative correlation to stock volume. So you'd see, yeah, so ETF volume rising, stock volume maybe not yeah. rising. And they rising. actually find a positive correlation. Gotcha. Meaning, you know, that they're actually, that, that's just not true. Yeah. So. Got it. Okay. So uh, th this paper showed ETFs are not affecting the correlation structure of individual stock returns. Mm -hmm. This paper showed ETFs are not affecting the liquidity of underlying securities. Um, so that's that's what we have. Um, uh, any any other like general summary you feel like on that paper to, to walk away with or? Yeah, I mean, I would look at that paper, I think like exhibit two and three, mm -hmm. if you're just watching it, I would just look through that. I think they're the two biggest takeaways in my opinion yeah. of that paper um, to show you how the correlation structure is really not being affected by ETF flows. Okay. All right. That's all we got for this week. We'll see you guys again next week. Thanks. The views expressed in this recording are the personal views of the participants as of the date indicated and do not necessarily reflect the views of Alpha Architect itself. Nothing contained in this recording constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice and should not be viewed as a current or past recommendation or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The information in this recording is based on current market conditions which will fluctuate and may be superseded by subsequent market events or for other reasons. Alpha Architect does not resume any duty to update forward-looking statements. The information in this recording has been developed internally and or obtained from sources believed to be reliable. However, no representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made or given by or on behalf of Alpha Architect as to the accuracy and completeness or fairness of the information contained in this recording. Any liability as a result of this recording, including direct, indirect, special, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. Copyright 2018, Alpha Architect LLC, all rights reserved.